Welcome to the It Is Better To Know podcast. This is Anne. I'm Valerie. And I'm Cecilia. This is a podcast where we use our expertise as pharmacists to break down relevant health topics and make them easier for you to understand. Now let's get started. You got me curious. Hey, 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 everybody, BTK Army. Welcome back to another episode with your favorite podcast, It Is Better To Know. I'm Cecilia, aka Ceylon T, your host for today. And with me, I have the one and only Valerian Root. Hey, everyone, it's the Valerian Root Valerie. That's you. Do you know what day it is today? Well, of course. It's the third Sunday of June, and we all know what that means. It's Father's Day. Right. I mean, it feels like Mother's Day just happened. I, I guess it was only a month ago, but you know, <laughs> time time is passing by so quickly. Uh, Valerie, what do you have? What do you guys have planned for Father's Day? Uh, well, we're probably we're gonna do a dinner tonight. <clears throat> yeah, and I had purchased a gift for uh, my dad along with my sisters already um, almost a month ago, actually, because I was trying okay. to take advantage of a deal from a, from a place. So yeah. yeah. Uh, how about yourself? Very fun. Yeah, we're just going to do a dinner. We usually get um, some takeout from a Chinese restaurant, very similar to like what we do for Mother's <laughs> Day. Say. So not not right. too much. I don't really have a I don't I don't really have a good idea for gifts, though. Like, is, do you find it harder to buy for dads than moms? Um, it's for me, it is almost a little easier, actually, oh, really? because, yeah, my dad, he doesn't really spend that much money on himself. So Same. what my sisters and I will usually get him are things like articles of clothing or things that he actually needs, yeah. um, but he doesn't actually have in his repertoire or his closet. So okay. for me, it's almost actually easier. Oh, really? But, That's um, so interesting. I, I can. Yeah, I, I, I do agree that generally speaking, it is harder for uh, there's less gift ideas. <laughs> I know. You can't really buy, like, you can't really buy your dad's flowers or, like, chocolates, right? Well, maybe exactly. some, maybe some dads like chocolates, but my dad doesn't. So usually mm. it's something, like, food-related or, like you said, like, clothing. Um, I remember sometimes I try to buy him, like, useful things, but then he never ends up using them. So, like, in the wintertime, um, like, for Christmas, I'll buy him, like, gloves, but then he doesn't use them. And then I see that his hands are like chapped and dry and then I buy him like um, moisturizer for his hands but then he doesn't use right. those either and then it's just you know it's just so like frustrating because at least mom's like <laughs> I don't know I talked about how my mom is just like I want this but yeah yes <laughs> and then very I just clear directions it. yes but dads are a little bit harder I find I don't know do you ever get him anything like um like uh, I guess like tools or, or like generic stuff like a tie or anything uh I think I made no, not me. I think my younger sister made him like a, a paper tie before. Oh, really? That's from so elementary. Cute. And I think he laughed because oh. he thought yeah. it was cute. That is cute. Uh, yeah. But he didn't wear it, obviously. Why then, not? That's very fashionable. <laughs> a if paper it gets tie, ruined, just make another What one. is it? It was like, I don't know, probably like 15 centimeters long. But yeah. um yeah, no, he didn't wear that one. Uh, as as far as tools go, though, I, I guess you know, whenever if we actually did need something, we kind of need it right away when it comes oh, okay. to the tools, right? That's fair. You can't <laughs> so wait it's until not really like, like June. <laughs> 
Yes, I I don't wait for for June to roll around before I get that. But hundred percent, like when you're looking at the flyers and stuff, and they're talking about Father's Day, the tools, the organization um, shelves for the garage, all of those types of your typical like very um, practical gifts. Yeah. Yes. Dad types, <laughs> dad type gifts like barbecue yeah. sets or anything to do with barbecue. That's They're... a really good idea. Barbecue sets, yeah. Especially yeah, since the yeah. the weather is warming up now. And also, I guess yeah. um, it's probably just good to spend some quality time with with um like the dads and whatnot. Because like in terms of um the restrictions, at least in Alberta, um as of June tenth, we actually had outdoor gatherings that are increased up to 20 people. And now you can go out to eat with six people total. And there's no restrictions anymore that has to be with members of your household. So, you know, we can go out to eat in restaurants, indoors or outdoors, and you can even invite some friends and, and whatnot. So just in terms of spending quality time with um, with family and friends, that's uh, something that is able to occur now with, um, with the COVID um, pandemic. So that's really good. All right. So just make sure, I guess, in terms of uh, gifts, I think quality time is probably the most important one. So just make sure you do make some quality time for the paternal figures in your life. And with that being said, let's move on to our topic of the day. We've had a a bit of a COVID theme throughout our podcast ever since it started, because I guess, sadly, that's been taking over our lives lately in 2020 and also 2021. So we're going to continue with the COVID education today and discuss VIT. What exactly did I just say, VIT? Well, that stands for, it's a V-I-I-T, and it stands for Vaccine-Induced Immunothrombotic Thrombocytopenia. Wow, what a mouthful. That is certainly a mouthful, VIT. To break it down, that basically translates to blood clots induced by vaccines. It's made the headlines over the last few months, and I'm sure that many of you listeners have heard about it. And that's because of the links between blood clots and the AstraZeneca vaccine. There's also a similar term for it called VPIT, that's V-I-P-I-T, which stands for Vaccine-Induced Prothrombotic Immune Thrombocytopenia. Another mouthful there. <laughs> yep. So I thought we'd take today's episode in the direction of exploring what exactly VIT and VPIT is and why it happens. So just to give a little background, the AstraZeneca vaccine is a viral vector vaccine, and we go into more detail about what that means and how it works in one of our previous episodes, episode 26, the COVID vaccine update. So give that a listen if you haven't already or if you want a refresher. It's a good episode like all of our episodes. (laughs) Anyways, but when the AstraZeneca vaccine was first available in Canada, NACI, so the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, they had restricted the AstraZeneca vaccine to those who are younger than 65 years of age with no chronic medical conditions. But then around mid-March, they changed the recommendation to say that it could be given to people 65 years and older. Yeah, and this was because of real-world data from the UK that showed safety and effectiveness of the AstraZeneca vaccine in people 65 years and older, particularly against severe COVID disease and hospitalizations. But then in the same month, we saw in the news that more than 20 European countries have put a hold on the AstraZeneca vaccine temporarily because of blood clots being flagged in the post-vaccine side effects surveillance reports. When this first came out in the news, there had been 37 reports of blood clots in the 17 million people who had received the AstraZeneca vaccine in Europe. So NACI made the decision to put a pause on giving the AstraZeneca vaccine to those 55 years and younger in late March. Well, a lot of people are scared by this, but NACI didn't do this because the vaccine was thought to be for sure unsafe or that it was rushed to a market for approval. 
Instead, they wanted to take action as soon as possible because they were taking the first signs of a possible adverse event linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine seriously. Less than a month later, NASA came out with a statement that the vaccine could be offered to people 30 years and older if they did not want to wait for an mRNA vaccine and the benefits outweigh the risks. But the confusing thing was that Health Canada authorized the AstraZeneca vaccine for those 18 years of age and up. Despite the Health Canada approval and the NASI recommendation, it was still up to each individual province and territory to decide whether or not they wanted to expand access to these age groups, depending on the supplies available to them. Yeah, what a roller coaster ride of events. But this did uh, lead to some provinces changing their AstraZeneca rollout. So they lowered the age requirement to 40 or uh, 45 years old. If I remember correctly, that actually led to our Prime Minister Trudeau and his wife getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. And in our own province, Alberta, that led to a bunch of people getting the AstraZeneca vaccine, including our Premier Kenny, our Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dina Hinshaw, our Minister of Health, Tyler Shandro, and the Edmonton Mayor, Don Iveson, just to mention a few. Yeah, so where are we now? Like, we've had a few cases of blood clots linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine in Canada. And as of late May 2021, there have been about 30 cases of it and five deaths. The rate of it has been estimated to be approximately one case in 55,000 first doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, what does that mean? One in 55,000? Sounds kind of low to me. I agree. I mean, it certainly does sound rare. Keep in mind that the information is evolving by the minute, though. NASI initially thought that the risk of VIT or VIPPIT was uh, one in a million. And now with more data available, they realize that the risk is higher than what the preliminary data showed. Valerie, you're good with numbers. What's Do you know what the risk of blood clots in the general population is? Okay, I'm just looking at it right now. Okay, so according to Thrombosis Canada, the risk of blood clots is uncommon in the general population. Each year, about one or two out of 1,000 people will develop a clot. So it seems like the risk of blood clots from the AstraZeneca vaccine is still more rare. Oh my God, though, listen to this. They also talk about the risk of blood clots with COVID in general. The risk of blood clots for people infected with COVID is about 1%, but that's for people who don't need to be admitted to the hospital. If they, knew, if they do need to be admitted to the hospital, the risk of blood clots increases to 5% and it's even higher, getting up to 20% for those who need to be admitted to the ICU. Oh, that really helps put things into perspective. So, I mean, to sum it up, the risk of blood clots from the AstraZeneca vaccine is more rare than the risk of blood clots in the general population and much more rare than if you get infected with COVID. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the clots from the vaccine and how they happen. So the name, Vipit or VIT, both have the term thrombocytopenia in them. What exactly does that mean? Well, it means low platelets. Platelets are tiny blood cells that help form blood clots to stop bleeding. So if you have a low number of them, you are more at risk of bleeding. Okay, so I know what people are thinking. You're more at risk of bleeding because you have low levels of platelets, and that makes it harder for blood to clot. But then why do you get the formation of blood clots at the same time? So this actually does happen rarely. And another example of where this happens is actually something called HIT. That's H-I-I-T, and that stands for heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. And that's a rare complication that can happen when people receive a blood thinner called heparin. 
In HIT, what happens is that patients produce antibodies against a platelet protein when it's bound to heparin. So this triggers blood clots and depletes the platelets. Oh, and although we still don't know exactly why blood clots happen with the AstraZeneca vaccine, there are some theories out there that something similar to what happens with HIT might be happening with VIT. Hey, that actually sounds kind of catchy, HIT and VIT. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think, you know, if you have some, if you think you have symptoms of HIT or VIT, you better zip it to the emergency room. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about um, some possible signs and symptoms of blood clots in, in the next little bit. But I wanted to touch on Valerie's point there. In some studies, patients who had clots after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine were found to have a particular antibody in their blood that activates platelets, and this may have caused the platelets to mistakenly clump together to form clots and also activate the other parts of the clotting system in their bodies. You know what's interesting? Do you remember seeing that graphic on social media that was comparing the risks of VIT against other things like smoking and birth control pills? And basically, the underlying message was that the risk of VIT was much was much more rare than the incidence of clots from smoking or birth control pills. Yeah, I do. I do remember seeing that floating around on like various social media platforms like Facebook and, and Twitter, actually. Well, it's actually an inaccurate graphic because the type of clots that you would get from birth controls, for example, is very different from the type of clot that happens with VIT. It's like comparing apples to oranges. Hey, I don't mean to derail you, but did you know that in other countries like France and Belgium and Germany, they actually don't say um, comparing apples to oranges. They say comparing apples to pears instead. What? Really? Oh my God, (laughs) that's so cool. Aw, I like that. I think that apples and pears actually have more in common than apples and oranges, though. Hmm. I think they do, actually. But yeah, in French, they say les pommes et les pois. I'm sorry, I don't really have good French pronunciation. Je suis désolée pour ma pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good attempt. I wouldn't be able to do any better, though. Très bien, très bien. I think I'll stick to, merci, I think I'll stick to Cantonese and English. (laughs) But yeah, I'm not even going to attempt saying that in German or Dutch. Yeah, no, there's no way. Anyways, at least I took some French for, you know, some, some years in school. So I have a little bit of background to follow upon. Not much, though. But yeah, going back to the clots. So the clots seen in VIT are seen in more rare places. So there's a condition called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, so CVST. And this is a clot that's found in a large vein in the brain. And normally blood travels through veins from the brain back to the heart. But if you have a clot that blocks the flow of blood in the brain, that's not good. So it translates into bad things like lack of oxygen and damage to the brain. I mean, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis is pretty rare. It typically does affect younger people with the median age being 37 years old. So quite young. And for some reason, women are three times more likely to be affected than men. The data also showed that clots were found in other rare areas, like large veins in the abdomen. That's called splanchnik vein thrombosis. And in some of the arteries carrying blood from the heart to various organs. Right. Data shows that these blood clots, if they're vaccine-induced, seem to happen about 4 to 20 days after receiving the vaccine. So now let's talk about some of the symptoms that you might experience if you're indeed developing a blood clot or low platelets after the vaccine. 
Well, because the blood clots might happen in the brain, some of the symptoms that could happen include severe and persistent headaches, which could be associated with severe and persistent blurry vision, seizures, and other symptoms that might resemble a stroke, like weakness or numbness in the arms or legs. We also talked about blood clots that could happen in the veins in the abdomen. So a possible symptom could be abdominal pain. Okay, that makes sense. And traditionally, when I think of blood clots, I think of the most likely locations to be in the leg or in the lungs. So some of the other signs and symptoms could be swelling in the legs. Usually just in the one leg, it'd be rare for both legs to be swollen, but I guess it's not impossible. Um, You might notice some tenderness or redness in the leg, or if the blood clot breaks off and moves to the lungs, then you could have symptoms like chest pain uh, associated with slow, shallow breathing, shortness of breath increased heart rate, lightheadedness, and or coughing up blood. Yeah. And because we mentioned how the blood clots are linked to low levels of platelets, you also do want to look out for signs of that. One such sign could be bruising or tiny blood spots under the skin in sites other than the area where you got vaccinated. Okay, so to sum it up, if you have any of those symptoms that we mentioned and you have received a shot of the AstraZeneca vaccine 4 to 20 days ago, make sure you do seek emergent medical attention right away. Hey, speaking of which, Valerie, that reminds me, did you hear about the lady who died from complications from the AstraZeneca vaccine in Alberta? It was on the news. Oh, yeah, I do remember hearing about her. I was interested in finding out more, actually. Didn't they say that she went to the hospital to get help but was turned away? Yeah, the lady's daughter shared her news to the media because she wanted to get her story out to help prevent, hopefully, like sad outcomes like this from happening in the future again. So what I got from the news story is that the lady whose name was Lisa, and she was 52 years old, she got her first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine on April the 12th, and she had a fever for about two days after, which isn't an uncommon side effect from the COVID vaccine. Oh my gosh. And then about a week later, she got symptoms that were consistent with a blood clot in the brain, right? I -hmm. remember reading that she had really bad headaches, heart palpitations, chills, and was nauseous. Yeah, so she went to the emergency room in a hospital, but then she was told by the nurse there that she couldn't get help there and to go home and take a Tylenol, which actually seems weird to me because I didn't think that emergency rooms could turn away people. Like, I thought you still have to be assessed by a doctor no matter what, right? Well, I would think the same thing. That's seems really bizarre to me why why she would yeah. be turned down that way unless maybe she was given direction or something. I have no clue. Mm-hmm. I read that she did tell the nurse that she had gotten her vaccine and was experiencing these symptoms. So you would think that maybe they would have picked up on the possible connection and run more tests. I think that's what ended up happening. She went home took a Tylenol and some other OTC medications like Tums and Advil, but her symptoms didn't go away. Yeah, and then she told her daughter that she needed to go to the hospital again. So they went to a different hospital this time, and there she got a CT scan that actually showed that she was bleeding in the brain. So they were transferring her to one of the more major hospitals in the city to to get um, that taken care of. But then she had a seizure on the way, and then the bleeding worsened. So sadly, she was on life support for a few days, but then ultimately ended up passing away. Super, super sad story. My condolences to the family. They're doing an internal investigation to see why she was turned away at the emergency she went to, the first one that she went to. This isn't a typical story or outcome. So hopefully this doesn't cause people to lose faith in our healthcare system. 
I definitely agree with that. So let's say you did go to the hospital with any of the symptoms that we mentioned earlier that might be concerning for a clot. So some of the things that they would check for would be blood work, especially something called a CBC or a complete blood count to look at your platelet level and see if it's low. If it is low, then the suspicion of it increases. Likely what would happen next is that they would check other blood tests. So one of them being the D-dimer, which is a part of a protein and is high if you do have a blood clot. They would probably do diagnostic imaging to investigate for blood clots, things like CT scans, depending on where they were suspicious of the clot. So in a patient who was presenting with symptoms like severe persistent headaches, they would be suspicious of a clot in the brain and do a CT scan of the head to see if there was any evidence of clots there. I wonder what kind of treatments they offer you, though, if it is confirmed that you do have VIT. Well, usually blood thinners, and but I think it does depend where the clot is exactly and if there's any active bleeding going on, like for example, clots in the brain where you might have intracranial hemorrhage, so bleeding in the brain, it might be more risky to give blood thinners, but at the same time, it, it might be necessary. So it's all about clinical judgment. Um, sadly, something that our professors in pharmacy school used to tell us all the time, but it's really quite true in practice. Yes, I've heard that times a many. <laughs> I also <laughs> right. read that sometimes they give IVIG infusions if the clots are severe or life-threatening. This is likely extrapolated from treatment of HIT, which is heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, and we mentioned this earlier today. What IVIG stands for is intravenous immunoglobulins. Immunoglobulins are part of the plasma in the blood and contains antibodies to fight disease. When we give IVIG, the point is to interrupt platelet activation and to recover the levels of platelets in the body. Okay, so that's reassuring. So in the rare event that someone does experience a blood clot that could be induced by a vaccine, there's definitely treatments available. And right now, they aren't even sure what the risk factors for VIT are. There's no current evidence to suggest that it's more prevalent in people who have had blood clots before or a family history of blood clots. There's also no evidence to suggest that it is more likely in people who have other risk factors for blood clots in general, like people on birth control or other hormone treatments, or in pregnancy, or people with autoimmune diseases, or people with low platelets or platelet disorders. VIT just develops differently than other types of clotting problems. I mean, one thing is that if you had HIT before, so that's the heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or if you had the cerebral sinus uh, vein thrombosis before, then those mechanisms are similar to what happens in VIT. So if you did experience either of those conditions before, then it's recommended that you avoid the AstraZeneca vaccine. All right, so let's move on to another point of discussion. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, like we mentioned what the rate of it is after first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And so did you see any information on what the rate or incidence of it would be after the second dose of vaccine? It's not clear yet at this time, but the UK did have some data. And so preliminary reports suggest that the risk of it is much more rare after the second dose right now, based on the info we have from the UK, roughly one case per 600,000 cases have been reported. Oh, that's, so that's much lower. I mean, I did see a statement from one of the infectious disease specialists in Toronto, Dr. Isaac Bogalk, and he said that the risk for the second dose is hard to quantify, but it's likely anywhere from one in 600,000 to one in a million. So the second dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine doesn't come without its risks, but it's definitely very rare to develop a blood clot after the second dose. 
If this helps reassure people even further, Britain has been using the AstraZeneca vaccine for much longer than Canada. They had over 23 million first doses of the vaccine administered with over 240 cases of rare clotting reported. So far, as a as per a report published in May, they had administered 9 million second doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine and only 15 clots reported after the second shot. Well, that's good to hear. I know that if I got the AstraZeneca vaccine as my first shot, hearing those statistics definitely would help me feel better about getting my second dose. I, I know that some people are worried about even having enough supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine to get their second shot, but luckily with some research being done, Health Canada was able to extend the expiry uh, by 30 days of some of the current lots of the vaccine that we have on hand. So originally they were expiring May 31st. So the community pharmacies that are administering this were kind of scrambling to to get um, doses in, in people. But now they expired July 1st. So that's that's really good. Interesting. I read that affects approximately 45,000 doses. So that will be helpful to those who need a second shot. But hey, Cecilia, can we talk about the second dose choices? I know that was a hot topic for quite some time. And NASI recently came out with a statement at the beginning of June that said that mixing and matching of vaccines is now allowed. Yeah, that, that was quite a game changer. So NASI did say that if you have received a first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine, now for a second dose, you choose between finishing the series with a second shot of the AstraZeneca or you can choose a second dose of an mRNA vaccine, so that'd be Pfizer or Moderna. So this brings about lots of questions from people and also decisions that they now have to make. What do you think of this, Valerie? Well, mixing of different vaccine types is not a completely new concept. This has happened in the past. For example, with supply issues from manufacturers or when public health programs change, it's been done in the past where people receive different vaccine products to finish a series of shots of for hepatitis A or influenza, for example. Yeah, and I think it actually does make sense from a scientific perspective. I was reading an article in McLean's where one of the physicians, Dr. Alan Bernstein, he gave an analogy of how this works. So I'm just going to I'm going to read what he said. So he said, think of vaccination as presenting our immune system with a red flag. Here's something you should be on the lookout for. And so if you go with the mRNA vaccine first, you're going to activate one branch of our immune system. You can think of this first vaccine as our air force. And then you introduce one of the viral vector vaccines a couple of weeks later, and it tells the immune system, you saw this guy before, but I'm going to present him in a different format. And so it's going to activate a different branch of our immune system. Think of that as our Navy. So now you have the air force and you have the Navy activated. And so you've got a double threat against this incoming virus. Ooh, that's a very interesting analogy. I imagine it would work both ways. So if you got the viral vector vaccine, so that's the AstraZeneca first, and then an mRNA vaccine for the second dose, you probably could still look at it the same way as what Dr. Bernstein said. And aren't a bunch of European countries actually doing the strategy, offering an mRNA vaccine for the second dose for people who got the AstraZeneca vaccine for that first dose? Yeah, as far as I know, that, that's been done in a bunch of European countries, so including Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Norway, Spain, and Sweden, just to name a few. There were studies done in Spain and the UK that found that mixing AstraZeneca and Pfizer vaccines to complete a series was safe and also effective at preventing COVID, and these results were published in, in May. 
The UK study, just to expand on it a little bit further, they looked at over 800 adults who were 50 years and older who had received mixed vaccine doses. So either they got uh, Pfizer first and then AstraZeneca or vice versa, and they got these the two doses four weeks apart. Those studies did bring something interesting to light, though. They saw that the mixing of the two vaccines resulted in more side effects with the second dose, typically seen within 48 hours. Some of these side effects included fever, headaches, and fatigue. And these side effects were seen more often in people who received Pfizer than AstraZeneca as their booster shot. So I guess that would be more reassuring since it would be the other way around for people here in Canada who do choose to mix different types of vaccine to complete their series. Yeah, and that was seen with a short interval between the two doses. So the people in the UK study received their vaccines four weeks apart. And in Canada, we're now generally between eight and 12 weeks now for people who are just receiving their second doses now. And remember, even for side effects, like after the vaccine, that that just uh, means your immune system is hard at work. So that's actually a good thing. So those side effects like fever, headaches, and fatigue, they're actually expected to be pretty mild and self-limiting. So they should resolve by themselves in a few days. You mentioned the study in Spain. It wasn't yet peer-reviewed when I looked at it, but it has promising results. It looked at 440 people under the age of 60 who got AstraZeneca as their first shot and then Pfizer as their second shot. The preliminary results suggested that combining the two different COVID shots actually might produce more antibodies. But that was just looking at the antibody levels at two weeks after getting the second shot. So I think they they need more long-term data. Yeah, and they compared this to people who didn't get a second shot, not to people who got AstraZeneca for both of their vaccines. So naturally, people who do get a second shot of any vaccine would be expected to produce more antibodies. We do need more data before we can tell. But at the very least, both the Spain and the UK studies do show that it's safe and effective to combine the different vaccine types. And we're going to be conducting our own studies in Canada, too, to see how this mixed vaccines approach works out. It's ongoing and the study is expected to involve 1,300 ad- adult participants. And it's going to be conducted in conjunction with the COVID-19 Immunity Task Force, the Vaccine Surveillance Re- Reference Group, the Canadian Immunization Research Network, and Dalhousie University. It's super exciting. I look forward to seeing those results. It also has a cool nickname. The study is called Mix and Match of the Second COVID-19 Vaccine Dose for Safety and Immunogenicity, or for short, the Mosaic Study. Oh, I like that. Mosaic. I mean, I do love the pet names of trials. So sometimes they come with the coolest ones, hey? My favorite are the ones that are named after Greek or Roman gods like Athena, Apollo, Hermes, Zeus, and Jupiter. Pretty soon they'll have one for Valerian root, Ceylon tea. <laughs> That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and the Anise Star. So that's Anne, by Ooh. the way. <laughs> yep. I think that would be my favorite part of the conducting a trial. It is just, you know, coming up with these nicknames so <laughs> yeah, that we can actually name, yeah. name the trial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Anyways, I have a question. I know that when people were getting the first dose of AstraZeneca, there were some questions about whether people should take low dose aspirin for a period of time before and after getting the vaccine to help reduce the risk of developing a blood clot. What do you think of that? 
Oh yeah, I heard about that. I had I had a friend who works in um community pharmacy and he said that one of his patients told him that that was something they were doing, taking the low dose aspirin, so it's like eighty one milligrams um daily for a week before the AstraZeneca vaccine and for a week after. So yeah, that's a good question because now with some people who might be uh, getting the second shot of AstraZeneca, they might be wondering, oh, should I take aspirin to help prevent blood clots? Um, so there's actually no evidence that this will help lower the risk of it. And people shouldn't take aspirin unless they have a clear indication for it, because there are significant risks associated with increased bleeding as well. And if people are choosing to get AstraZeneca for their second vaccine to complete their series, again, the risk of blood clots is actually lower than with the first dose. So, And there's no reason to take aspirin to help lower this risk as it can cause more harm than good. So, but I mean, I mean, unless you're already on aspirin for another indication, so it's being prescribed by your doctor, then by all means, continue it um, while, while you're getting the vaccine. I would agree with that. That makes sense. And with that being said, I think that we should emphasize that if you do decide to go ahead with the AstraZeneca for your second shot, that is a reasonable decision as well. I know that with the news about the blood clots being associated with the vaccine makes people question the safety of the vaccine and whether it was rushed to come out of the market. But Health Canada only authorizes the vaccine after a very intensive, rigorous review of the evidence for safety, efficacy, and quality. And after a vaccine is on the market, there are many systems in place to monitor the safety concerns. That's how these clots were brought up in the first place to light with a vaccine safety monitoring system that flagged these clots as a safety signal. Yeah, every medicine or vaccine has rare side effects that might not be seen until millions of people receive it. And the clinical trials that are being conducted, like they only might only have uh, thousands of participants. So the really rare side effects might not be picked up on at that time. And now researchers and doctors and patients, we're, we're all more educated on what to recognize as potential symptoms of it so we can act faster accordingly to seek help and diagnose and treat it. You know, a few months ago, the risk of dying from VIT was 60 to 80%. But now because we know much more about the symptoms and we know about the signs to watch out for and we know how to treat it, it's, about, it's dropped down to about 20%. Well, that's a remarkable improvement, actually. This is also hot off the press that NASI just came out with a statement on June 17 that an mRNA vaccine is now actually the preferred choice of second dose for people who got the AstraZeneca vaccine as their first dose. And this is due to a number of reasons, including better immune response and having a good supply of the mRNA vaccines, especially the Pfizer. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up an interesting article I saw too. Researchers in Germany are looking at how to tweak the AstraZeneca vaccine to potentially avoid the development of VIT. They are looking at how the vaccine delivers the spike protein of the coronavirus into the body. In rare cases, the spike protein does not bind to the cell membrane, but is instead released into the bloodstream where it interacts with antibodies and causes clotting events. So if they are able to confirm this hypothesis, they can tweak the vaccine to hopefully avoid HIT. Whoa, that's so interesting. That's really amazing what science can do, and scientists. All right, well, thanks for the extensive discussion today on VIT. How about I hit you guys up with my bottom line? (laughs) All right, so the phenomenon of blood clots that are triggered by the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine is called VIT, which stands for Vaccine-Induced Immune Thrombotic Thrombocytopenia, or VIPIT, Vaccine-Induced Prothrombotic Immune Thrombocytopenia. The rate of VIT after the first AstraZeneca vaccine is estimated to be about 1 in 55,000, 
And we can compare this to the risk of blood clots in general in the general population, which is about one or two out of a thousand people every year. The risk of blood clots for people infected with COVID in ambulatory outpatients is about 1%. And this increases to about 5% in people infected with COVID who need to be admitted to a hospital and about 20% for those who need to be admitted to the intensive care units or the ICU. The risk of it after the second AstraZeneca vaccine is estimated to be about 1 in 600,000, so that's much lower than with, with the first shot. Recently in Canada, the NACI, or the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, did say that if you have received a first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine, now for a second dose, you can choose between finishing the series with a second shot of the AstraZeneca, or you can choose to switch to uh, mRNA vaccine for a second dose, so Pfizer or Moderna. There were some studies that were done in Spain and the UK, and they indicated that mixing of two different COVID vaccine types is effective and safe, but they may be associated with more risks of side effects after a second dose. And in particular, those would include headaches, fever, and fatigue, but these are expected to be mild and self-limiting. And these side effects are also seen when people receive their two doses four weeks apart. And that's not the case in Canada. For many of us, we're going to be receiving our second shots anywhere between 8 and 16 weeks um, after our first dose. Getting the second dose of any two-step vaccine is crucial to cementing the memory of the immune response. The first dose of the vaccine is intended to prevent death from infection, and the second dose boosts the immune response to protect you from getting infections in the first place, and to also reduce your ability to carry or spread the virus at all. So make sure to get your second shot when it's your time. Talk to a healthcare professional if you have any further questions or concerns. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you know someone who has questions about the blood clot potential from the COVID shot or is debating on what shot to choose for their second dose, share this episode with them to alleviate their concerns and to answer, and to answer their questions. Yes, please spread the word to people that you know. And make sure to follow us on our social media accounts if you haven't already. So Instagram and Facebook at it is better to know and our Twitter at better to know pod. Uh, see you again in two weeks time for another important health topic. And until then, stay curious, our beautiful BTK army. Are you new to the It Is Better To Know podcast? If so, we want to thank you for listening. We would love to get your feedback to help us get better. Please leave us a quick rating on your favorite app, or even better, leave a review and let everyone know what you think of this show. Curious Music is performed by Bonsai Memo, written by Andrew Southwell and Jimmy Harry. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should not be taken as medical advice. As every individual is unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.